Daddy Squared. Gay Dad Saved the World. A daily dose of gay dads on the front lines of the global pandemic. With Alex McGann and Jan Dick. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads podcast. Gay Dads rule the world. Gay Dads save the world. Whatever, we do something to the world. Day 20 of our little project that we give you every day. One gay dad that we call uh, who is an essential worker or first responder or both. Listen, it's what's been so amazing in this process has been recognizing how many people are truly essential workers in this thing yeah that's true i mean you you think to yourself it's an essential worker you say it has to be an ent it has to be like you know a, a doctor or a nurse but there are so many different things that are essential at a time like this and we want to interview all of you as much as we can. Um, so over the weekend, we took our kids to... Uh, a parking lot. A parking lot to ride their bicycles. And we started. We decided to rollerblade. Yes, yes. Which is yes. something I haven't done for like... 10 11 years. years. Something like that, yeah. yeah. It was, lo- not that I'm good at it. I, I was never good at it. So it looks like a and potato on wheels. <laughs> we, we literally drove down to an industrial area in Los Angeles... We found a parking lot, a big one, um, and we, uh, you know, set our kids free and and we put on our rollerblades and it was an incredibly gay moment. It was so gay. It was gay gay on paper while I was uh, practicing falling down safely. (laughs) So it it looks ridiculous. It was Um, And Alex did some rollerblading. I did. Didn't you miss your car? I mean, we got into your car. Oh, it was so, so nice. How I nice is that? I love getting into Though it my has car. too many rubber gloves in the, on the floor. Oh, my God. The passenger floor of my car looks like the trash can at, like, a fisting festival. It is so disgusting. There are all these rubber used rubber gloves and, like, you know, candy Bags. wrappers and, like, yeah. pieces of cookie. It's not pretty. Thank God there are no doggy leather masks. I don't understand the doggy leather mask thing. If you want to explain the doggy leather mask thing to us, you can write us at hello at daddysqr.com. Did you know, Alex, that more than 15% of uh, patients admitted to labor are COVID positive? God, that sounds impossible. Right? I mean, maybe it's in a specific hospital or a specific area, like one of the real hot zones. Well, that fact brought me to Georges Sylvester. He's an OBGYN in New York and a gay dad, of course. I also uh, suspect we're going to call him today. I suspect it's pronounced Sylvestre. Sylvestre. Oh, I love I love saying things in my stupid French accent, which is really stupid, but I like to do it anyway. So we're calling New York, Georges. Let's do that. All right. Georges, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um, we understand that you're an OBGYN. Where are you based? New York City. Cornell. Cornell. Okay, great. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what your work is generally and how it's changed during this pandemic? Well, I'm an OBGYN specialized in high-risk pregnancies. So um, this hit me, uh, hit us very suddenly, like unexpectedly. Uh, New York City became the center of the the epidemic, the pandemic, actually. Somewhat surprisingly, but then again, the density of people, um, you know, is really a good focus for this to to start. Right. Yeah. So, as it turns out, um, 
you know, Cornell uh, cares for a varied population from all the boroughs, uh, from the very underserved area in Queens or Brooklyn, the Orthodox uh, community in Brooklyn and Queens, and the Upper East Side, and so on. So I deliver a lot of, of patients uh, for my group and the hospital, and we decided as a group about six weeks ago to systematically test everybody who comes in in labor, whether mm -hmm. they have symptoms or not. Mm -hmm. So uh, everybody who gets admitted to our floor to have a baby gets tested for COVID. And 10 to 15% of patients came back positive. Wow. At the beginning, um, it was kind of hard to navigate the system because it would take us eight, nine, or even 12 hours to have the results. But now with the rapid testing that Cornell instituted, we have the results within an hour or two at the most. Um, so that's very, very good. So how did it change my practice? Uh, you kind of lose track of things. But at this point, I think it was like six, seven, eight weeks ago, we started assuming that everybody that was admitted to labor and delivery was positive. So the minute you walk into the hospital, you have a mask. Right. Uh, the minute you are in contact with the patient delivering, you have a mask and an eye shield. And by then, by the time they're, you know, ready to deliver, usually you know if they're positive or negative or the category in between, which is a person under investigation, that they have symptoms, but we don't have the results yet, or the clinical symptoms are severe enough that you suspect they have COVID. You know, with such a high incidence, uh, yen of 10 to 15 percent, that's that's a lot of patients. Yeah. And what was surprising to us is that like more than half of them had no symptoms at all. No fever, no cough, no malaise, the flu-like illness. So, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty scary. So and it's going on. Is there an option where a patient comes uh, negative and, and comes out after delivery positive, like because of the uh, because of interaction maybe with uh, with other people, with other? No, it's, that would be too short. What could happen is that, uh, and it's happened in other hospitals, is that the test is not perfect, right? Uh, it depends how you swab, where you swab if you shed enough virus. And there's still a lot that we don't understand about the antibody test or the swab, the antigen test. It's not a perfect test. It's like mm -hmm. it's a new disease, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, in our sister institution, some patients tested negative at first. So that was before the era of masks and uh, that we use masks, like maybe seven, eight weeks ago. Uh, and then the, the, the patient in labor still had fevers, kind of unexplained cough or something. Uh, and then a day or two after delivery, uh, it became obvious that they were, they had some kind of respiratory problem. So they were retested and they were positive. And right. by then they had infected at least a dozen people mm, on the yeah. staff or, you know, perhaps the baby or the yeah. nurses or the doctors. So, so this is when, our sister institution said, that's it, that's all. We all wear masks. We all assume that people are at risk right. uh, yeah. because, you know, this is an extremely contagious virus. Yeah. Right. Do, you, do you separate between the babies who were born to a positive patient to the babies who were born to a negative? Yes. Uh, you know, I'm not a pediatrician, so I cannot give you details of the nursery. Okay. However, uh, I can tell you that uh, the babies... You know, the good thing about COVID is that 
it's not transmitted from the pregnant mother to the baby. And that's good news. Yes. Uh, the other good news is that women that are pregnant with COVID do not get particularly sick. Mm. The flu is a different story, see. If you catch the flu, influenza, when you're pregnant, you have three to five times more chances of dying from the flu or being intubated or being very sick just because you're pregnant. Wow. Influenza, sorry, that's influenza. COVID, at least, you know, you get the same kind of risk. Um, let's say you're 35 and pregnant. You get the same risk if you're 35 and not pregnant. So the risk of complications are not higher uh, because of the pregnancy. Got it. Uh, that being said, you know, there's still some, it's, it's a very infectious virus, uh, very contagious. So, you know, we have considerations of the mother that tested positive with or without symptoms. Uh, she can be with her baby. And that's, you know, it depends on your areas because some areas, uh, if the babies get COVID, it, <laughs> it's not always good news. At least here, we recognize that babies that get COVID don't get very sick for the most part. And if they do, we can treat them. Well, so then the end of your day comes and you go home and can you tell us about what you have, what your family's like? <laughs> well, like a lot of doctors in, in New York City, um, you know, we're one of the few professions that are on the front end. So we do have to go to work. And uh, I belong to um, um, the group of, of workers that have kids that are now being homeschooled. So I'm fortunate that I have a husband who uh, can work from home. I say work in quotation marks. You don't see me, but you don't <laughs> yeah. get much work done. Yeah. My yeah. kids are seven and 10 years old. And, um, you know, basically uh, we made a decision as, as a family for my husband to take the kids away because we have a weekend house somewhere else ah. in Long Island. So, um, so they are with him in Long Island uh, they've been there nonstop for the last six weeks, and I go every weekend that I'm not working. Oh, wow. It's hard for me because I get home, um, you know, with this kind of impersonal relations or, like, interactions with my patients or my colleagues, all with masks. All try to be as many feet away from each other as possible. Mm. And as an OBGYN, it's difficult <laughs> to, yeah. to stay too many feet apart uh, right. for the procedures that I do. Um, but then I get home and I have no family and I do FaceTime with my kids. Uh, it's, uh, so the separation is, uh, is weighing on me a little bit. I have to say it's kind of difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's funny, you know, we we are here with our twin four-year-olds and it can be exasperating to be with your kids 24 hours a day, but now I'm hearing the flip side from you and I'm thinking about what that would be what that would be like for me. Um, can you share with us any of the silver linings, any of the positive experiences that you've had during this time? I think it allowed my husband David um, and me to an extent uh, to get closer to our kids because, you know, it's easy for us to get into the routine of dropping off the kids at 8.30 and, you know, have the nanny pick them up at 6 o'clock every day. Uh, that's been our routine for the last, you know, quite a few years. Right. Um, so now that uh, we are with our kids 24-7 and, you know, us, I mean my husband, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
we get much closer into our children's lives than before. Um, we are we have no choice but be much more astute about our kids' uh, curriculum uh, because homeschooling. You don't know yet because your twins are four, but it is a challenge. You know, you, we are right at the age where our kids are not old enough to be completely independent. And they're not young enough to, you know, you don't have to worry about your four-year-old learning something in school. Right. But when they're, you know, almost in second grade, uh, our kids go to bilingual schools. So the homework's in French and English, the dictations, the math, uh, you know, you need to look over it to look at the homework. Uh, you know, every 45 minutes they have an activity, you have some, something to submit. And to navigate uh, this with two children is difficult. I got to say that it forced us to examine our relationship as a couple um, because... Um, you know, it's easy for me to say, well, you know, I, I, I work and take care of patients. That's why I have to be on my own. And my husband says, well, you know, it's easy for you to say because I take care of two kids all week long and you do nothing. It's like, I don't do nothing. <laughs> I take care of patients. It's, I know I cannot contribute from, you know, 90 miles away. So, right. um, but I think it forced us to really examine our relationship and just to focus on the positive. And when we're together on weekends, we try not to to think about it. We try not to think about school stuff, about me, about work stuff. So we try to do some some good activities as a family that we can do to the extent that the the um, the social isolation allows us to do. I want to ask you one more very very important question, and it is. Mm -hmm. Can you divulge to our listening audience the absolutely worst thing you've eaten in the last week? Oh, gosh. You Come know, on. you get home, and sometimes, I got to confess, yes. I get home at 6.30 without my kids. I get depressed. I'm like, oh, I'm fat now. So what difference does it make to order two, you know, double-sized Big Macs and French fries and yes. then you eat it, <laughs> then you feel ill and guilty. Like, and you feel it for the following 16 hours because I'm not 20 anymore. So, yeah, I think that'll do it. Yeah, two double-sized Big Macs. George, thank you so much for joining us today. We really and appreciate it. anybody deserves Big Macs is you. That's right. I, I really do. follow your blogs and I really love it, guys. Oh, thank you oh, so thank much. Oh, thank you so much. Be well and, and thank you for what you're doing. Bye-bye. Reach out anytime, okay? Okay, thank you, thank you. Bye. That is clear.